Hey Crossings podcast community. This teaching is called Four Easters and is the Easter 2022 teaching. It was taught by Molly Conaway on April 17th, 2022. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Welcome. Happy Easter. I think I'm supposed to say he is risen and you're supposed to say he is risen indeed. Is that what I'm supposed to do? He is risen. He is risen indeed. We are so glad you are here this morning. We are going to sing together. Uh, we are going to study together. We are going to take common meal together. Uh, this morning, this Easter, is to celebrate that through Christ, God has and continues to and will continue to make all things new. So wherever you find yourself this morning, we want this to be a generous space for you. Um, you might have great Easter memories. You might have really hard Easter memories. We are just so glad you're here. If you have been with us through this season of Lent, these past five weeks, you'll know that each week we have been baking a cake. So each week we have done a different step in this process of baking a cake. So we've got the recipe, we've gathered the ingredients, we've mixed everything together, we've submitted to the process of baking a, a way not our own, we've called this series. Because in baking, you don't just throw a bunch of things in a bowl and hope it turns out okay. You have to follow a recipe. You have to submit to the process that is not your own. It takes as long as it takes. It can't be rushed. It's the same way of this season of Lent. It's the same way with most wilderness-like experiences in life. And last week, we ended with a video of the cake going in the oven. And the oven door closed, and we ended in the dark. And today, there's cake, and I think the appropriate response is there's cake indeed. There's cake, there's cake indeed, right? So, if you think about it for a second, from wherever you're sitting, you are looking at this cake in an entirely different way than every other person in this room. I mean, even the person next to you is not looking at this cake with the exact same angle, the exact same pers per perspective. Over here, you might see this is a, um, a carrot cake, by the way, with cream cheese icing and uh, caramel drizzle. So wherever you're sitting, you might see a different like caramel drizzle, or the frosting might look a little bit different. We're all looking at this differently. And I imagine next year, if you came back and sat in that exact same seat, and if we had a cake that looked almost identical to this, this cake would not look the same. A year from now, if you sat in that exact same seat and looked at this exact same cake on this exact same table, your perspective of this cake would be different. You'll have had new memories. You'll have had new experiences. The people sitting around you might be different. I mean, if all we're discovering about the brain and neuroplasticity is true, then next year it's scientifically possible that you, your mind and your body will be looking at this cake entirely different. This will be a new cake. But this isn't actually about cake. Where you find yourself right now, your current perspective of God, of faith, of the resurrection is where you are. This morning we're inviting you to pay attention to that. In the text we're going to read together today, we actually find four very different perspectives on Easter, four very different perspectives on the same cake. I don't know if you've seen the movie Four Christmases. I've never actually seen this, so I don't know if it's appropriate or if I recommend it, but the idea is that Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon spend Christmas with four different divorced families, and it is four very different Christmas experiences. There are four Easters 
in today's story. We are in Luke chapter 24, if you want to follow along. We're going to read most of Luke 24 today. It's possible that you might find yourself in one of these four Easter's today. So, Easter story number one starts at the very beginning of Luke 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the 11 and to the rest. Um, so this is your annual reminder that women were the first to preach the gospel, just so we're clear. But some of you, <laughs> some of you, your posture your perspective is much like these women. You show up faithfully on the best days and after the worst has happened. On the days where there is great celebration and in the wake of death and grief and lament, you show up. With burial spices in hand, you come to honor the Christ, however Christ may be. And it is in your showing up. It is in your faithfulness that God continues to surprise you. Barbara Brown Taylor, an author, finds herself in this Easter. She says, these days, I would say Easter is the eruption of life from a tomb as God's huge surprise, going in a different direction, and if anything, proof that you can never predict how God is going to act next. I value Easter as the reminder that you never know where life is going to come from next, and there's no sense being attached to the day before yesterday because the day before yesterday is dead and today something is alive. So why not follow the life and see where it leads? With some kind of trust in the Spirit's ability to blow where nobody expected to blow and in a direction nobody expected it to go into and be willing to be blown away. For the women at the tomb, for those of you who find yourself in Easter story number one, Showing up faithfully, even in the midst of grief, means finding something like Easter at the end. And we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you pulled up a seat at this table. Easter story number two. Luke 24, verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. These words seemed to them an idle tale. Some translations say, this story seemed like nonsense. These words, the story of the resurrection, for some of you today, is an idle tale. It seems like nonsense. Maybe the whole thing has felt like an idle tale or nonsense for a long time. Or maybe for the first Sunday, you're finding yourself feeling like maybe this is nonsense, maybe this is an idle tale, and that thought even is really disorienting and kind of scary. 
But like, what if the whole resurrection thing is foolishness? It is foolishness. <laughs> what Frederick Buechner says is, God says that the life you save is the life you lose. In other words, the life you clutch and hoard and guard and play safe with is in the end a life worth little to anybody, including yourself, and only a life given away for love's sake is a life worth living. To bring his point home, God shows us a man who gave his life away to the extent of dying a national disgrace without a penny in the bank or a friend to his name. In terms of men's wisdom, he was a perfect fool. And anybody who thinks he can follow him without making something like the same kind of a fool of himself is laboring under not a cross, but a delusion. This is foolish business, if we're honest. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection story that is the hinge of the Christian story is not likely a story that you will believe with confidence at all times and in all places. We see this in Easter story number two. It wasn't that way for even the closest followers of Jesus, and they didn't try to fake it. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by a professor named Lauren Winner, and she says, some days... I'm not sure if my faith is riddled with doubt or whether graciously my doubt is riddled with faith. The story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ is a story to wrestle with. This is where the name crossings even comes from. This is a story to ask questions about. If it all feels like an idle tale today, it's okay, you don't have to fake it. We're just so glad you're at the table this morning. We're so glad that you found a seat here. Easter story number three. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Okay, I want to veer off a little bit. Um, through this whole Lent thing, we've been talking about the cake thing. Caleb keeps talking about his love for the Great British Bake Off. Um, it's a really lovely show. It's a really nice, gentle show. Have you seen the show, Is It Cake? Okay. <laughs> It is not a nice, gentle show. Um, so what, this, what they do in this show is they have these contestants, these bakers. I mean, they're truly artists. I heard that many of them are actually tattoo artists. And what they do is they're given a theme. So uh, outdoor sports, food, uh, clothing. And they have to create a cake that is delicious but also looks mo most like the real object. So then these objects are put next to other objects, and the, the judges have to guess which one is actually cake. And there's like $10,000 on the line. I mean, the stakes are high, and these things are serious. You can go to the next one. I don't know if you've seen some of these hyper-realistic cakes that people are making, but it kind of blows your mind just watching them cut into this. Yeah, Faith, you can just keep going through them. Um, I, I saw, I think, is there another one? Oh, where are all my slides? That's okay. Um, 
basically, if you go, if you go look up hyper-realistic cakes, I mean, it's just incredible, some of the things these people are creating. I saw, um, I, I saw one of the comments under these hyper-realistic cakes, and somebody says, this is why I have trust issues, because you just wouldn't believe how realistic these cakes look. And, and there's $10,000 on the line, so like the stakes are high. In Easter story number three, Peter's Easter, Jesus was arrested and tortured, and, and Peter denied association with Jesus more than once. The stakes were high in that moment. I have to imagine there was some sort of shame and guilt still lurking in Peter's mind this whole time. If Jesus was really alive, it means Peter would have to confront his past. Like, what would it mean if the story was true? But he didn't hide. He had to go check it out for himself. I, th I think Peter's Easter was a mix of Easter 1 and Easter 2. He shows up at the empty tomb like the women, and he was just mostly confused. <laughs> There's confusion in the Gospel of John's telling of the Easter story as well. Mary confuses Jesus for the cemetery gardener. I mean, I've never seen anybody walk out of a tomb after three days after being dead. I can't imagine it looks nice. Confusing Jesus for the gardener doesn't seem like a crazy thing. You know, Jesus was never super interested in dressing up nice and neat and perfect or, or fitting in. He got his hands dirty with the messiness of humanity often. And he chose some super unimpressive people with a past to deliver his message. The resurrection, the life of Jesus, has very little to do with making people nice and socially acceptable and popular. It's about making things new. And the movement from death to life, from old to new, at first is likely messy and dirty and confusing. Nadia Boltz-Weber says, the gospel is wild, like the wind. It's more beautiful and irrational than reason alone can't contain. That's why we need stuff and not just ideas. I've heard it said that Christianity isn't spiritual, or I would add intellectual, it's material. You can't even get started without a river, some bread, and a jug of wine. To be honest, this seat, Peter's Easter, is probably where I find myself this year. I, I don't really know what happened. Peter saw the strips of linen lying there. I've seen things to make me think it happened. I see the story of death to life written through the fabric of creation. I see the story of death to life in my garden. But for me, this year, I'm not sure if all the happenings on Easter Day and what it means for my eternal salvation or yours is the most important thing. I'm not sure those things matter a great deal more than what is happening now in this life, in this city, in my neighborhood, in New York City, and in the Ukraine. Eugene Peterson asks the same question. He says, the most important question to me this Easter is if this story of God is one that invites us into to be a people in Knoxville, Tennessee, who practice resurrection in a world where death gets the bulk of our attention. Death of nations, death of marriages, death of careers, death by war, death by murder, death by illness. Today, 
like Peter, I walk away from the empty tomb mostly confused, but desperate for a community who practices in tangible, material ways a life where life is the last word, where life and peace and beauty and wholeness and shalom are the last word in a world of death. That's how I walk away from the tomb this morning, knowing that I could spend a lifetime trying to decide which version of the thing is the real thing, which is a bowling ball and which is a cake. And for some reason, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves on Easter. It's like the stakes are high. There's like $10,000 on the line at Easter. But at the end of the day, for me this year, it has less to do about being right, about picking the right version of the thing, than it does about participating in a life and a faith community that practices resurrection. You could spend your life trying to decide what's real and what isn't, and never actually eating cake. If you've been with us for a Cheesecake Sunday, you know that line sounds familiar. All right, Easter story number four. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place here in these days? He asks them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. So, so they go on to explain to this stranger everything has ha that has happened. We had hoped that this would be the one to redeem Israel, but hope seemed to be gone, buried, killed. But now someone says that, that maybe the worst thing might not be the last thing after all. And this stranger goes on to tell them the story of their life, of their history. He said, remember the prophets always said something like this would happen. Remember? The disciples didn't recognize Jesus as they walked along. But Jesus recognized them, and he just walked with them, right alongside them, asking them questions about where they find themselves and how they're understanding the world. Jesus helps them remember who they are. For me, this story of Emmaus is the perfect description of the spiritual life. Like, whether or not we recognize it to be Jesus... We are being invited into an ongoing story, a walk along a road in the midst of tragedy that makes sense of the things, a story that puts the world back together. We're being invited to remember who we are and pay attention to the way this story is unfolding around us each day. Here's how Easter story number four ends. 
As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. It was when they found themselves at the table, and they were invited to break some bread and pour some wine, surely there was cake, that they were actually able to see what was going on. Frederick Buechner says, whether we recognize him or not, or believe in him or not, or even know his name, again and again, he comes and walks a little way with us along whatever road we're following. And I believe that through something that happens to us or something we see or somebody we know, who can ever guess how and when or where, he offers us the way he did at Emmaus, the bread of life, offers us a new hope, a new vision of light that not even the darkness in the world can overcome. What this means is that our gathering each week is like the walk along Emmaus. It means all the seats that are at this table are at this table. I think, I think the point is that none of these seats are necessarily good or better or right or wrong. The point is that all the seats are at the table asking questions, participating in a life that restores things. And as we walk along, there are days when despair seems to win. But we are reminded every year on this day and every week at this table that every year the flowers come back, that hope has been written into the story from the beginning of time, that the dark things and the dead things are never the last things. That's what we do every week when we come to this table. You might know this as the Lord's Supper. You might know this as the Holy Eucharist or communion. We call it common meal. This is bread, the body of Christ broken for you. It's not cake. Uh, it's definitely better than those things that we had during COVID. This is the juice, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And when you'd like, we invite you to come forward and we'll dip the bread in the juice and we'll put it in your hands and we'll look you in the eye and tell you again that this is for you. Your only job is to come pull up a seat. So when you're ready, we invite you to come. 